The book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a big verse and has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about this morning in Colossians. But let me, let me just set up what Paul is talking about here in the book of Romans. In chapter 8, for seven chapters, Paul has built up the case that we can be saved, that we need to be saved, that no one is saved outside of the blood of Jesus. For those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And that condemnation, imagine, imagine your head in a guillotine. And I know that's a bit of a grotesque picture, but the condemnation is like the blade above it. And it says that for those who are in Christ, you have been removed from that condemnation. That just wrath that we deserve because of our sin has now been removed by Jesus. Now, it hasn't been winked at like, oh, we're just letting everybody in now. It's not, um, it's still deserved. It's still something that we incurred. That's what the first seven chapters of Romans talks about. But because of the grace of God, he sends his only begotten son to die in our place so that we might be forgiven of the sins that we've committed and be healed of the sins committed against us. It's a glorious, wonderful, awestruck place to be in. When you read the word and when you get to a verse like this and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and your ears and your heart and your soul and everything about you to it, you begin to understand what God has done for you. You may not fully understand it as he is God and he's bigger than us and his ways are not our ways and all that. But we begin to see sort of like the tip of the iceberg that the Lord must love us very much. That he must uh, desire us in a way that we can't fathom. And so today, we have to see the, the I don't, don't want to call it a catch, that makes it sound kind of tricky. But what it said is there is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're outside of that today, you very much still have that condemnation hanging over your head. Um, it's not my job to come and tell you all the details of your life, what's right and what's wrong. That is the Holy Spirit's job. And he's very good at convicting the world of sin. And so we, we become a place where uh, sinners come in like a hospital and they get cleaned up and they get saved and they get forgiven and they begin to live a, a, an awesome life in the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about walking in him or walking in Jesus. Go ahead and turn your book to Colossians chapter uh, 2. And that will be our uh, focus today. Now, the whole reason why Paul had to write this letter to the Colossians, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. Sometimes we read the Bible, and we just see it, it's a book, it's a manual, tells us what to do, what not to do. And uh, that's true in a sense. But when you see the word for what it is, it's 66 books written down over some 1,500 to 2,000 years by over 40 different authors, different times, different cultures, different places, and uh, the Lord speaking through them in that moment to reveal to us now Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, the Bible's about Jesus. The Bible reveals to us Jesus. Now, for this letter, the book of Colossians, it's actually a letter. It was something that Paul wrote to a church because this church was having a hard time. So imagine us as a church and we're struggling in our faith and we're making wrong choices and we're not truly following what the Bible says. So imagine somebody of, uh, of authority writing to us and saying, hey, 
let's get you back on track. Let's show you, let me show you where your, where your faults are, where your good points are, and let's uh, fully worship Jesus. And so Paul writes to the Colossian church because their problem was they were seeking uh, fullness or completeness outside of Jesus. That means that, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just need so many other things before I feel content. I need, so, I, need, I need this perfect job. I need this perfect spouse. I need this perfect relationship. I need these perfect kids. I need this perfect hobby. I need this perfect amount of money. And then I will be content and full and complete. Or on the flip side of that, people were, infer- they were infiltrating the Colossian church and saying, hey, Jesus sounds great, but you know what else you need? You need circumcision. Hey, Jesus sounds great, but you know what else you need? You need to celebrate the Sabbath and the full moon festival and the one about the tents and the one where you uh, blow the trumpets and you've got to do all those things too. Basically, uh, becoming a Christian is good, but you've got to become a Jew. And so Paul writes to them to say, hey, look, you know, all the fullness we're looking for is found in Jesus. You have Jesus, you have everything. You don't need to become a Jew. You don't need to become circumcised. You don't have to celebrate certain festivals. Can you do those things? Sure, if you'd like to, but you don't have to. You want to take, you know, some people are really big. Friday into Saturday is the Sabbath. If that's when you want a Sabbath, if that's when you want to truly rest and not just spiritualize another day of working, um, then go for it. That's great. Well, I can't do that. I work. Can I do it Sunday? Sure. Well, Sunday's busy too. Can I do Monday? Absolutely. Pick a day, worship the Lord, rest from your work, and just take a day to recover from the week before and to prepare for the week ahead. And so people came in and, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. And, and you, you know, they went outside the commands of God. Now, don't, don't sweep all commands of God underneath the rug as legalism. Legalism is you do this, then you're saved. Or, or, you know, if you don't steal, then you'll be saved. But if you steal, you're done. Um, Stealing is still wrong, right? Nobody wants to be stolen from. Okay, so stealing's still wrong. What we're talking about here is when God says, go and love your neighbor as yourself. To, To serve those, especially those who are less fortunate than you. To preach the gospel, proclaim the good news to everyone that you can. These are the commands we still follow. And it's because of the Holy Spirit we can even do that. If we could follow the commands of God without the Holy Spirit, then what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Always remind yourself of that. If I could do this without Jesus, then am I really doing what Jesus wants me to do? So they they were lacking. But not because Jesus wasn't there. They were lacking because they were looking in so many other areas. So Paul redirects their focus back to Jesus. In verse six, Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When you find that word, therefore, in the scriptures, Paul uses it a lot. He's basically saying, okay, because of everything I just previously said, this argument or this statement I'm about to make, that's how, that's how it's built up. So if you take this verse out of context, you could lose a lot of what Paul is telling us or what the Holy Spirit's telling us through Paul. We just read last week, verses 1 through 5, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, another church in the area, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to, rich, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, 
For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So because we are being knit together, we're not just, you know, church is not just a group of acquaintances that, you know, are cordial to each other on, on a, one day out of the week. We're, fa- we're growing to be a family. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Um, we're being knit together in love, that God's mystery has been revealed to you, that you need to protect yourself from plausible arguments or delusions. Because of all that, now verses six through seven can stand. Therefore, because of what was just said, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, you can look on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, blogs, whatever, the news, every walk of life, secular or religious, you find folks who, in the name of Jesus, do stuff that is deplorable. They'll do things that we don't agree with, or maybe it's not outright sinful. It just, it's a deviation. It's still sinful, but it doesn't look as bad as the other things. It's just minor in a sense. Well, it's not minor in the eyes of God, but it's minor in in our eyes. Paul says there are going to be those who come with uh, these plausible arguments or these, uh, these, these arguments that will delude us or pull the cloak over our eyes. And those things never come blatantly. You know, if someone were to come to your house and say, give me all your money, you'd say, no, it's my money. But if you get a phone call and they sound like they're from the IRS and they sound legit and they have a number and they sound very important and strict and they begin to demand from you because of this, this, and this and the authority they have, you might start thinking, oh, wait a minute, I must owe this bill. And I wish that this was uh, just a, an analogy I was using. That's actually things that happen, especially around tax season that just passed, people getting phone calls and being tricked into giving away things like social security numbers and credit card numbers and, and information to, to literally rob them. It's subtle, it's trickery, it's, it's, it's being a con artist. And unfortunately, there are people within the church that do that same thing. They come into the church and... Some of them, they don't know any better. Others are wolves in sheep's clothing, but they come in and say, oh yeah, this Jesus sounds great, but you know, I've been reading this book by this guy and he said this, and it's a small deviation. You, know, you gotta have church on Sunday. That's what I've read. He had a really good theory. Let me give you these uh, non-contextual scriptures to kind of back that up. And then they're, they're thinking a little bit and you know, years go by and now if, if you don't have church on Sunday, it's, it's like, uh, essentially, uh, it's equi- the equivalent of murder. You're like, oh, we've got to have church on Sunday. We can't have it any other day. Well, but why? Why does it have to be that? Or, or you have to dress a certain way, or you have to use a certain style of music, or just any other, you know, ridiculous thing to get caught up in. Paul says, you know, we're being knit together in love. The mysteries of God are being revealed. And if we find ourselves in that place, what should we do? Go back to Jesus. Go back to what you were first taught. Now, if the first thing you were taught was bad theology, then you don't want to go back to that. You want to go back to the Bible. At South Bay Chapel, we, we look at the word like this. Here's the word and we come underneath it. It is the highest authority here. So if we disagree with the Bible, we don't change it to fit our needs. We change to come in line with it. That makes us unpopular. That sometimes makes us look unloving, but when you read the truth of the word, you realize we're being as loving as possible. To reveal the truth to others is the most loving you can be. To lie 
to coddle, to say, well, you know, it's probably going to be okay. That's not loving. That's setting somebody up for failure. That's setting up somebody for hell if they're not leaving their sin and you've justified it for them. So the most loving position you can have is to tell them the truth. Um, The day when Ethan was diagnosed with cancer, the doctor came in. She was very truthful. She was very nice. But she came in. She said, your son has cancer. It's leukemia. Here's what we're going to do. That was... That was everything that I needed in that moment. I did not want her to come in there and say, you know what, let's just hope that everything works out. You know, let's just wait a little bit longer. You know, I really don't want to hurt your feelings by telling you that your son has cancer. Did it hurt my feelings? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was angry and I was mad. And I was, I remember in that moment, there was a table. I just wanted to pick it up and throw it. But she told me the truth. And by accepting the truth, I was able to move forward. And here we are four years later. Ethan's cancer-free. He's gone through his treatment. And uh, all because this woman just told me the truth. And I'll be forever grateful for her doing that. Um, It didn't make me like her in that moment. But when I got through those emotions and I saw what she was doing for my son and the treatment and everything she had lined up, I saw that she was actually a very caring and loving person for a child that she was not related to, had no investment in other than wanting to help. And so when it comes to being a Christian, sometimes we have to reveal these truths that are hurtful in a sense because they're not popular. They don't make you have the warm fuzzies, but they're the truth. And Jesus said it's the truth, especially the truth about him that will set us free. I hate feeling like I'm in bondage. I hate feeling like someone has a hold over me and I have no control. Jesus says the truth sets us free from that. And so the truth that we need is the truth about him. So one of the questions I want you to ask today is how have you received Christ? Or have you? Have you received Christ? Please don't be under any, um, we're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. It's not a bait and switch situation. We're having a potluck because Christians like food. Amen? We're not trying to trick you into becoming a Christian. Like, hey, come have some food. Gotcha! You had some of the chili. Now you got it. Now you got to be a Christian. It's not like that. We absolutely do want you to become a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus. It's our goal that you would come in, hear the gospel and say, oh man, this is everything I've ever looked for. And now I get to have food. Like that's kind of the correlation between the two. But don't be, don't, don't think that we're trying to trick you with food to get you to think Jesus is cool or something like that. Far from it. We just want to give you Jesus and let and let you as an adult make that decision to hear his voice. And should you reject him, that's your choice. I hope that you don't do that. But we allow you to have that freedom or we, we, we just step back at that point and say, Jesus, it's up to you. If you can't reveal yourself to the, him, them or them or whatever, what are we going to say or do that makes anything better? The gospel of Jesus is the standard. It is not needed to change for thousands of years. We do not need to change it. You don't need to make it more palatable. You don't need to make it more fun. You know, you don't need to make it more strict. You know, you don't need to add rules to it. You don't need to take stuff away from it. The word of God is the word of God. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of Jesus. In several places throughout the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Revelation chapter 22, I believe, there's these commands in these specific moments Contextually, that God will say to the people, don't take away from this word, don't add to it. Whenever you find a deviation of the gospel, if, you, if you've come from a place where you're like, well, I heard this taught or I heard that taught, understand most times people have added to or taken away from the gospel. 
You know, I read, we talked about something called soul ties last week, and I won't get too much into it, but as I read about it, I found that nobody that I had read about that had any scripture to stand on. It was all theory, and it was all, you know, you could take Jesus right out of that, and it still was their own argument. And so I had to come to the conclusion that this is not a thing biblically, and as I read the word, I find it's not a biblical thing. So God warns us through Moses, God warns us through John uh, the Revelator in the book of Revelations, but then also Proverbs, Proverbs 30 and 5, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. I came to this place in my life, and I pray that you would too, where I decided, you know what? Either God's telling the truth or he's not. Either Jesus really is or he's not. There's no middle ground. There's no Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. There's no, you know, it's a good book of rules, but it's not for me. It's either all in or all out. And if it's all in, then I have to believe at some point God is telling the truth and it's man that is the liar. That if God has said something will come to be, then it will happen. No, that's exercised more in the, re- the return of Jesus, the promise that he will come again. I have to believe that by faith. I don't see it by sight right this second. I don't know that I will live to see him return physically. I may die and pass away. It might be my children or my children's children. We pray like John in the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. We, we, we are excited for his return. We want more people to come and to know him, but we are excited for his return. We, we look up because our redemption draws near. The Colossians had taken away from, added to, and maybe not the core of the church, but people who had come in and wanted to take authority over the church. Have you ever found that, even outside of the church, if you have something, there's always those people who want to come in and change it. They want to put their flavor, their flair into it. And you've got a business or a hobby or something, and they just want to come in with no investment and change everything. You're like, you know, I've been here since day one, plugging away, and I know what's going to work best. I'm not trying to be prideful or anything, but, but you just kind of came in at the last minute and said, hey, why don't you do this? These people had had a church for some 20 uh, years, and over time, people come in and, and just influenced. You know, if you don't give, you're not going to be saved. You know, if you, if you don't do this, you won't be saved. If you don't do that, you won't be saved. Going away from the message of Jesus, that is, you are saved by faith and faith alone. So we have to go back to that. And, and this is the part where the message gets taken from me and then handed off to you. You know, I can't come to your house and open your Bible for you and sit down and, and have a pipe and say, no, let's read through the book of Job and blah, blah, blah. Like, I can't make you read the word. I can barely make myself read the word. I don't have a hard enough time coming around to you and doing that. This is the part where you take ownership of your faith. Your faith can be aided by people like me and Pastor Mike and Pastor Ben and, and ladies' service and, and men's breakfast. I mean, that will all build us up but the responsibility to actually read your word, to sit down, to study your word. As Paul says to Timothy, show yourself as one approved through study, through, through devoting yourself. That's up to you. It's our job as the church to help you in that, but that part is your own. When you go to the things like, oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you know, the, the, full moon, the, the moon festivals and the Sabbaths and the, and the legalisms, legalisms in church, all that produces is bondage. All that produces is burnout. All that produces is bitterness. 
It, it never produces good Christians. It just produces really cleaned up sinners. One time Jesus was mad. And he got mad a lot. If you, if you think Jesus is just walking around with Bon Jovi hair and petting lambs, read the Gospels again. Because he gets mad. Like he doesn't like it when something happens, when people are taken advantage of, when people are rebuked when they shouldn't be. Like kids are trying to come hang out with them and the disciples are like, no kids. And Jesus is like, bring them all in. Well, he's mad at the Pharisees. And if you've read the Fer- about the Pharisees in the gospel, you understand Jesus had a lot to be mad about there. They were the religious elite using their power to keep their people under their thumbs to do what they wanted, to gain wealth, all the while under the name of God. Now, I know that doesn't happen today, but the Pharisees did that. That was a joke. You can laugh at it later. The Pharisees, he just goes off on the Pharisees. In Matthew 23 and 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Now, I don't go around saying woe to you like the cashier doesn't give me correct change. I'm like, woe to you, cashier! But it's basically saying, basically Jesus just, any, any nice word that you could say to tell somebody, you guys are in trouble. You guys are the worst. That is sort of the modern day vernacular of what Jesus is saying here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Basically, Jesus says, you know, you know, anybody here ever been to a funeral? Usually not the funnest day of your life. But you go there, and in this day, you know, uh, whitewash was something you would put on the outside of something to give it the appearance of newness or clen- cleanliness. And Jesus said, that's what you guys are like. You're really good on the outside. You got the long flowing robes, big, long, eloquent prayers. People always see you giving. You're not shaving those little things on the side of your head. You just, you're hitting all those marks, but on the inside, you're like that tomb that's just full of dead bones. There's no life in you whatsoever. And consequently, God's not involved at all either. He says, you're hypocrites. You're one way on the outside, on the inside, you're completely different. You look alive, but you're really dead. Legalism tends to produce that really quickly. Burnout and anger and bitterness, and you think you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and you just need someone to come and give you life. In following of Jesus, the exact opposite of that is true. Hebrews 13 and 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We look at men like Paul and Peter and James and John and, and, and Jude and the different ones in the Bible. They weren't perfect by any means. What we find are men who just laid down their life at Jesus' feet. They weren't whitewashed tombs. They were rough and rugged on the outside, but on the inside they'd been cleaned and purified and made holy by Jesus. You know, if you've ever met those people, you know, I, I've got, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm 38. In ministry, that's still really young. Like, Kobe Bryant just retired. You guys know about that? Him and I were born on the same day, same year. We're exact, he's reached the peak of his athletic career, and he's done. In his world, that's old. In my world, praise God, old is not old until I get to like 60 in ministry. No, no, no. Are you, are you a minister? Then if you're not a minister, that doesn't count. Here's what I mean. We all know you're old. Jeez. <laughs> Seize him. Bring it on. I've been working out. Um, 
That's a lie. I haven't been working out. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Ministers who don't have full heads of gray hair generally are cast aside. Well, you don't know. You get a guy come up here with a fancy suit, some gray hair, looks like he's been around, he's got those fancy patches on his elbows. Most people just take anything he says verbatim. Well, he must look at him. He just looks like a pastor or a minister. You bring in some guy wearing a hoodie and some hipster haircut, and people are like, I don't know. They don't just let you come in. Okay, they don't just let you speak into their lives. And that's okay. I would, I'd like to live that my whole life, have people question what I say and not just take it because I said it. Now, what I'm saying is, is that the person in the suit who's dressed up, they could be full of Christ. They can be full of garbage. It's up to you to figure out what they're saying is true. And how can we know that? By going back to the word of God, by going back to what Jesus has already told us through his word. And if that's all we have to stand on, we're in a good place. Well, I disagree with what you think. Well, the Bible says, the Bible supports what I'm saying, so I'm going to stand with the word. And then you get into things like discernment. Well, what if you've taken a word out of context? You know, regimes and dictators and, 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 and just militias have risen up in the name of Christianity because they take one or two verses out of context and make a whole theology out of it. Whole ministries exist nowadays. Multi-million dollar ministries exist because they've taken one or two verses out of context and, and people just say, well, there's a verse involved. It must be true. So Paul says, be rooted and built up in Jesus. Hebrews 13 and 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their, the, of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have uh, not benefited those devoted to them. The writer of Hebrews basically says, Look, look at the leaders. Look at their way of life. How is it turning out? Is it turning out the way that it has for centuries? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to work through people pretty much the same throughout the centuries, throughout cultures, throughout times. Or does this person stick out like a sore thumb? He's come and told you you're supposed to be rich, and he's got fancy robes or suits and gold, and, and you're like, that doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't line up with the rest of Christianity that I see throughout history. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There must be something breaking down here, and I doubt it's the word of God. So you go back to the word of God. You find that Jesus was neither rich nor, nor poor. You find him having to, to fish, to get money, to pay taxes, you know, finding the coin in the belly of the thing. You see Peter going out and catching, you know, a, a so big a amount of fish that his nets are breaking at Jesus' command. You see that, that, that Judas... He was able to steal as the treasurer of the group. He was able to steal from the treasury. There obviously was some money there. But Jesus said, I have no place to lay down my head. Foxes have holes and all that. But the king has no place to lay his head. So you have a, a man or, or, or a God man who was neither rich nor poor. So poverty gospel and prosperity gospel all both err in the same way in different directions. Most religions, if not all of them, lead you to sacrifice, to give, to serve, to, to devote yourself to that deity or that teaching or that ideology without ever having the assurance that you have been approved by that deity. Meaning I, I sacrifice everything, I give all to the poor, I, I do this and I do that, and then maybe, just maybe someday, I'll be approved of by the God I'm serving. Christianity 
is the complete opposite. We come to Christ by faith. Before we ever did anything, the Bible says, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he died on our behalf. We know that we are proved not based on our actions, but, but based on what Jesus has done. See, I stand up here today before you as a Christian, not because I do Christian-like things, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now I, I put my faith in that and what he's done. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he has risen from the dead. I believe that he will return again, born of the virgin, that hell is real, that heaven is real. I believe that the Bible is inerrant and perfect. And those are the things that make me a Christian, my faith in Jesus in that. Now, as a result of that, I will go and do Christian things. Because I belong to this family now, I will go and do things like Jesus to the best of my ability through the Holy Spirit. It won't always be perfect. It won't always be pretty. And I'll have to repent a lot. But I will do that because of what Jesus has already done. I won't do all those things hoping that Jesus might love, you, love me. I won't do those things hoping that he'll forgive me. Those things are taken care of already. Jesus has already done that. Church, when you stand before God, you will not you will only go to hell for one reason or you only go to heaven for one reason and that's because of what you thought about Jesus, what you proclaimed and what you said. If you have rejected that offer, that extension of grace to you, then that's the reason why you will be kept out of heaven. And if you have accepted that, that's the reason why you'll go in. And you'll do good works as a result, but those good works won't get you a ticket into the factory. And Willy Wonka reference. It won't get you into heaven because you did good things. But it's through the word we are told that we are created for those good works. So being rooted up, being built up is what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. He says that he's the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I love, I love that in Christianity, it's not all up to me. What, what's, a, what's given to me really is just a, a handful of choices. Will I follow? Will I not follow? Will I serve? Will I not serve? Will I love? Will I not love? But all the things that God wants to do in my life, he will do through me. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. As a result, the writer of Hebrews says, run your race and run it well. Run hard, run fast. Not because it's up to your effort, but because you have, have a great race before you and a worthy God to serve. Verse seven says, being rooted, up, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Um, so we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that all three of them are God in one. And it's a mystery. We can't fully explain. Some will use the, the egg analogy with the shell and the yolk and the, and the white part, whatever that's called. Um, yes and no. Because the Bible says that they're, they're all equal. They're all God. They have different functions and services. For instance, the Father sends the Son. The Son dies on the cross. And then the Son sends the Holy Spirit. The God of all creation sends his spirit to fill you at faith. When you say, I've decided to follow Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it seals you. It's a promise to you. It's much like the down payment you might give if you purchase a home. You know, I want to buy this home. And to show you I want to buy this home, here's my down payment. Here's, here, here's this, I pro this promissory note. I will promise to pay you and I back that up with this money. This, this down payment. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment, the word says. It's the promise that we are Christians and that we will go to be with the Lord one day. That he will not leave us as orphans, but he will indeed bring us together as a family. 
I don't know about you. Maybe you all are different than me. I didn't grow up in a perfect home. Um, we never went hungry. I'm not up here to bash my parents or anything like that. They did the best that they could and probably better than they could have with the things that they had thrown at them. Very dysfunctional family, though. You know, just like most families. Just this person getting arrested, this person overdosing, this person doing this, this person doing that. And so when the Bible talks about family, I see sort of glimpses of it in my own family, but I have to look beyond my own vision. You know, it's not about having a family like, oh, what was his name? Tim Allen on Home Improvement. Like, that looked like a pretty perfect family, right? It's all baloney. It's a TV show. So that's not our ideal. Our ideal is what we find in the Word, and the Word says that we were once orphans, and we were abandoned by the world. We were abandoned by even our flesh, but that God came and chose us. And the reason why we sing these songs about amazing love and you know, blessed be the name and things like that is because of what Jesus has done. He has taken us from death and brought us into life. He has taken us from a place of abandonment to a place of love, from a place where we now belong to him, that he invests himself in us in the, in the form of giving his son to die on our behalf. You are not the point of the gospel, Jesus is, but the point of Jesus coming was to save you because he loves you, because he desires you, because he wants you. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I once worked with a coworker, and I was the only guy with like 10 other ladies, and it was the worst. And... <laughs> uh, and one lady, uh, they used to, you know, gossip and everything, like everything to the max. It was the worst. And uh, so I'd go off and do my job. And then, and then one day, one of those girls got saved. And I remember her coming in and trying to explain that to the other ladies. And they were like, you're not different. You're, you haven't changed. You're the same old person you were before Sunday. And she was like, no, you don't understand. I, I've, I've been born again. I've, I've, been, I've given my life to Jesus now. I'm not like that anymore. Oh, yes, you are. See, people are going to argue that against you. You're, you're the same old person you were, blah, 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 blah. That's not what the Bible says. And this is where I come back to, you know, people will argue with you and say, no, it's this way. And I'll say, well, no, the Bible says this. And the Bible says that today, if you give your life to Jesus, you are a brand new creation. And the whole world may mock you and revile you and say, you haven't changed. And they did the same thing to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. So don't expect anything less than that. But the truth remains. Today, you are a brand new creation. You have been, what the Bible calls, born again in John chapter 3. Now, will you make mistakes? Yes. Yes. You will make glorious mistakes. You will fall down, but the good news is you will fall down forward. You will, you will move forward even in falling down. And through that falling down, God will teach you through that. See? See how much that hurt? Let's get back up. See what you could, could have done differently. See what you, um, see the choice you made. You could have made choice B or do you see, do you see what happened there? And you can learn from that and you go back to God's word and, and learn from that and, and be changed, be renewed, be brand new. That's the hope that we have today based on the promises of God.
We don't want legalisms. We don't want to be really good-looking people who on the inside are dead. We would rather look rough and ragged on the outside and alive on the inside. But the ideal is that we'd be both cleaned up on the inside and the outside, that God would do a complete work in us. That whether you're wearing a three-button suit or a hoodie and a pair of corduroys, that God is cleaning you up where it matters the most, starting with your heart and moving out from there. Today is your chance for that. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you have been serving for decades or you just figured this out today, the opportunity is here today to give your life to the Lord. Now I'm going to pray for you. So I want you to stand. If you can't stand, it's okay. Please remain seated. But if you're physically able, please stand and we're going to pray together. Now, I'm not trying to boast. Once you hear a message, a message that changes you, and that power will be through the Holy Spirit, I know that. But once you have that happen, there's something you need to do. And there should be a, a practical procession of things that happen in your life. So before I pray, this is, what, this is what you should do. And it's the same for everybody. Hasn't changed for centuries. Pray. One of the greatest assets we have as Christians is prayer, communication with the Lord. Well, I, I don't know how to use these and thous. No, 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 no. Just go to God like the Father that He is and say, Father, I'm hurting. Father, I need help. Father, I love you. Father, this great thing happened. It was awesome. You just talk to him in, like you would a really good dad because he is a good dad. Ben, if you want to come up and play something, that'd be nice. Read your Bible. There are a lot of great writers out there, a lot of great theologians, both alive and dead, who have existed over the last few thousand uh, years. But they all point back to the Word of God. Read your Word. But when I read, I don't understand. I get that. Especially if you have something like a King James Bible, you can get really lost in that. There are a plethora of really good translations that you can get that will make it a lot easier. Most of them, if you have a smartphone, are at your fingertips 24 hours a day. I don't like to read. I can't read for very long. Okay? Start with a small goal of five minutes. Read a chapter. Read two chapters. Start there. It is through that that God will begin to change your mind and how you see things. Number three, be in community with other believers. Sometimes when you're at your darkest time, just coming to church and being with other people who maybe are going through that or have been through that, God just uses that to, to, to strengthen you, to become that, that little family that God has called us to be. It's not always easy, and we're all people, and we have our proclivities, and, and we don't always do the things we're going to do. Let me, let me share with you a little testimony, really bad testimony. About, well, what is it, 2016, so about 12 years ago, I was working in a place called uh, Denmat, and they made toothpaste. And there was this guy there, and he was the foreman on the floor, and he was talking about the Bible. He knew I was going into ministerial training. And he said, you know, I tried to read the Bible. I got a King James. It's really hard to read. And I thought, I was like, yeah, I know. And literally two nights ago, I'm lying in bed going, why didn't I just buy that guy a Bible? Like, it took me 12 years, people, 
12 years to realize what I should have realized in that moment. Now, I share that with you because if I had just kind of bridged that gap a little bit, who knows where his life would be. I don't know that man anymore. Probably will never see him again in my life. Being in community, though, being connected to people changes your life. And, and just reading your word, if it's difficult, being in community with people will help you in Bible studies and just sharing perspectives and, and getting to through the questions that we've had over time. And, and if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible that you can read and understand and, and fall in love with. See, I feel like, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Ben or Mike, but I feel like if, if, if all we do is make you people who just read your Bible, but you're not in love with God and the Word and the gospel of Jesus, then we, we, we're not helping you to live life to the fullest. We want you to fall in love with Jesus because of what he's done for you. And we want to help you in that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to eat food. Jesus, the gospel, the good news is all about you. That you were God, and you came down to this earth, and you lived a human life, and you did lawfully what no one else could do. You lived a sinless life, died sinner's death, though you had no sin of your own. That you conquered that grave by taking your life back up again. That you ascended to heaven and sent your Holy Spirit to fill those who believe in you, who have faith in you. That you will be the author and perfecter of our faith, and then one day you will return. You will take your bride, the church, home and life as it was created to be will continue as it was supposed to. So Father, I'm praying for the people here today that that message, that truth would be the truth that we take home that would liberate us from the bonds and the chains of this life that we find ourselves in. We repent of our sins, Lord. We ask for healing from the sins that have been committed against us. And like the Colossians, we're reminded today that the fullness that we seek can only be found in you. In Jesus' name, church, as you kind of pray, Ben's going to lead us in a worship song. Just take a few minutes. You don't have to sing. Just take a moment to, to, to reflect, to connect with Jesus in a way that maybe you never have before. Go ahead, Pastor Ben. Draw near to me as I seek your glory. I want to know your love. I want to know your mercy at your throne. I leave it at your feet as I carry my cross. Lord, that's all we hope to do today. To not pick up more burdens, not pick up more rules, not pick up more, you know, of what the world is already throwing at us, Lord, but to lay down at your feet and to take upon the yoke that you have given us, the yoke that you say is light. The yoke that is light because you carry it with us. So, Father, just be that good shepherd that you are and lead us and guide us. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.